The title of the Dharma talk, I think I gave it to you earlier. Reduce the production. Yes, it's reduce, reduce, lower, reduce the production, reduce the production. And what I'm referring to there, and I talk about something similar to this all the time. I just come up with a different, a different word for the same thing or set of words. So reduce, less. As you hear me say sometimes, less is better. I don't mean stop doing everything, but to reduce a little bit. And especially especially the production of uh, language or, for that matter, uh, thoughts too. But you might it's a little bit easier to work with language because you have a little bit more say-so about your vocal cords than you do with your thought patterns. You really can't control uh, thoughts. You may have noticed that. So the idea there is with the strengthening of your awareness, the sitting practice of meditation, um, you, you might not be able to notice that as with some kind of a more aware or something like that. That's kind of misunderstanding what it is. Can't really be aware of awareness. <clears throat> so what I'm uh, talking about here, let me talk about a couple of different ways. One of the ways uh, that I could say is as you you're talking to someone, you can set up a time on occasion where you're talking to your, your partner, your spouse, your wife, your husband, coworker, maybe your boss, maybe your children, somebody, Dharma, brother, sister, and you could notice the spaces. You don't have to do anything with them initially. Just notice the spaces between your words. Spaces between the words. That doesn't mean you artificially slow down so you look like you're having a stroke or some kind of absent-mindedness. So the idea here is to, it's still about awareness, not so much about control, but a little bit. So when you're um, having a conversation with someone, especially if it's someone that's a little challenging to deal with, like your husband, your partner, perhaps, um, uh, whomever it is, you could, you could reduce the production a little bit. So you could start by, instead of not talking so much, you could start by uh, perhaps expanding the space there a little bit rather than actually not talking. So you could still talk, but you could put more room in there have a little bit more spaciousness when you're talking. Even though you know what you're about to say, give it a little room, a little more room. Interestingly enough, that that, that area of the spaciousness of actually bringing more, spacious, spa, more spaciousness into it as far as your awareness uh, will help you see how much you're producing. And so the idea there is to not fill up the space with your chatter, your commentary on everything. And coming back to the, the kind of a slogan that I have talked about in different ways. One of the ways I talk about this one is 90-10. Uh, talk 10% uh, of the time or produce 
10% of the time and then listen 90% of the time. Now, situationally, it might require to really talk a lot, but that's a situation. But if you're in a situation where, uh, which is situation also, where you're at the breakfast table and you're talking with your partner or your someone you're really close to or your friend, whatever, you could you could play with that a little bit. Just see if you can receive receive what they're saying. Uh, they might notice they might notice that a little bit and say, "Are you okay?" And then you, you could come right back and say, "Yeah, I'm fine. Go ahead. I'm listening to you." So be encouraging to them. Most people love to talk about whatever is happening. So it probably won't take much encouragement, but a little reassurance that, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm listening. Go, go ahead. They might, if you're, if it's really, if you're really quite the chatterbox and you're doing that and you manage to reduce that quite a bit, there might be such a contrast that they probably might think something's wrong with you because they're not getting that interaction. I could say a lot about that, about different things you could do, but you could experiment with a lot. You might find that there's a way that you're going to work with that, that I, I'm not even clear about myself or I have something I've not thought of, just a way of reducing that. One of the ways that will help you is if you spend some, besides 90% receiving what somebody's saying, uh, bring not just their words, but bring in everything about them, bring in the space around, bring in the the chair they're sitting in, their posture. Don't when they move their posture, or uh, sometimes called body language. Don't don't go into what does it mean? You, because if you go into what anything means, you've actually abandoned what something is for what you think it is, and it just cranks up the thought patterns, which are all about doing what protecting the ego, protecting this our imaginary identity that seems so threatened. Scratching your nose, so you didn't have your hand up. But I do have a question. Oh, okay. I'll take it. Junchu bowing. What's happening when we're frustrated with someone else's lack of production? You know, you mean they're not talking very much? That's, well, it's not about them particularly. But just, just notice that. Uh, it depends on who it is. If it's your partner, uh, or if it's your, it is <laughs> that guy. <laughs> um, you could be a, appreciate that. You could also uh, engage uh, in uh, a conversation around around something uh, uh, that where he would include himself. Or he, I mean, not not about manipulating, but I'm not sure that's so situational. What is your frustration? Do you just want him to chatter a lot? He's not doing that? No, he chatters enough. <laughs> you know, you know that guy? <laughs> We're talking about a, 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 her uh, Her partner is a, is a monk here. Uh, she's almost a monk, but not quite. He's never going to be a monk, are you? Nope, she just said no. <laughs> no, Jukai is enough for her. Huh? She's she already... Who's in prison? Any? Can you can you ask me a more specific question about it? Because it's a little bit hard to give you a response without getting some kind of idea of what what's happening. Thank you, Bowing. Um, it was just in an interview recently with Shoto. Yes. 
and just noticing that I was trying to um, have a conversation about something relative that I don't even remember exactly what, but something I was irritated by. So I wanted him to say more about it and there wasn't much happening there and I was frustrated by that. Were you asking him direct questions about it? I think so. Excuse me. Was I? You're going to ask him? <laughs> so... Well, uh, as much as you can uh, receive, and you might have to receive his silence. But look at what look at what also received what how your reaction to it. To, and I don't know exactly what's happening with you, but to respond in some kind of a, a way of frustration or something. He's not doing what you want. Yes, Shoto. Shoto, I, I feel like I remember what she's talking about. If that, if I can give you some context. Go ahead. Um, I always wanted to be a marriage counselor. <laughs> 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 of course, they're not married. So go ahead. Um, she, I think I was having just some negativity and, and there wasn't a particular story coming up around it. Okay. And she was asking questions and I didn't feel like I really had a conceptual hold on what was happening. So I couldn't really respond. Okay. So she kind of had to pull a story out of me just so we could have a conversation on around it. And I felt like I was kind of leaving my confusion to make something up about it. Did you know that? What he just said? Did he did he explain that to you? Maybe. Okay, well, let me say this. I think you guys are doing fine. I'm not saying you feel like you're doing fine, but I think you're doing fine. Just continue. Continue to practice, continue to work, because what what quite often what is showing up isn't some kind of perfect communication situation happening. It's difficult, but, you know, so, but receive, uh, when I say receive uh, and produce 10% uh, of the time and receive 90% uh, of the time, a lot of that receiving is receiving your own thought patterns, not just what somebody else is saying. So it could be, since he's not saying anything, then what's, what's coming up is your own thought pattern. So just receive those rather than add on the 10% is don't comment about on it, comment on them particularly. You follow me a little bit? Yeah, it's just hard. Um, yeah, that's, I forgot. Uh, I could have said that in the talk title. What was the talk title again? Reduce the production. Reduce the production and then it's hard. <laughs> And that's one of the ways you know you're probably doing it. It's challenging. Yes, Shoto. Shoto Bowen, if someone's asking a production of you and you have nothing to say, should you lie? No. No, you could you could tell them. No, that's the. Uh, there are times when you might want not, not might not want to be forthcoming, which could classically is called a lie. But you might it might not be fundamentally helpful helpful to. Sometimes when we try to level, level with somebody and not lie, it's about trying to be a, a person who doesn't lie rather than actually fundamentally help others. And sometimes people are not ready to hear uh, what you're about to produce. So uh, quite often people have a, a sense of pride. I never lie. I even heard a Dharma teacher once say that once. A pretty famous one said, I never lie. And I thought, what an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought. And, and of course, I never lie. So, 
But I mean, it's, I'm saying there, it's not about not never lying. It's about, it's about it being aware of what that is situationally. And so it's really important to do that because some people are, you, you know, you, you're not really ready for that kind of a flat out display of uh, some kind of reaction. It'd be like leveling with somebody and say, you act like you don't like me. Well, I don't. I don't like you. Might not want to say that to somebody. Was that it? Can I go? <laughs> go ahead. There's a question from Shane in Virginia. That darn Shane, I don't know where he gets his questions at. He's not doing anything down there. You're just kind of sitting around in his church with his sheep. You got sheep? I think he has sheep. You got sheep? Aren't those kind of like goats? No. Go ahead. Uh, his question is, do projections have their own identity? Yeah, that's, that's a Shane question, right? Projections have their own identity. Yes and no. They have the identity that you give them. They have the identity of being project onto something you think that's the truth, uh, rather than there's something behind that that possibly has triggered that projection. Most of the world is is operating in terms of what they think is happening rather than what is actually happening. You see what is actually happening. You'll stop meddling with everything. You'll start having fundamental respect for everything that's happening. And that's difficult because it looks like some things are terrible and should be stopped. Maybe not. And other things are wonderful and should be promoted. Maybe not. Maybe you should hold your seat and have respect for what's happening. Have respect. You didn't. I say you didn't. I don't know. Maybe there's a few people here who know how they got here. I don't. I'm not sure how this all came about. I kind of discovered there was somebody here when I was probably one year old, two years old, maybe, that there was actually something happening here. Yes. Sometimes when, um, when I have frustration with something that's happening, yes. there feels like there's an urgency to produce something around it, to correct it or manipulate it. Oh. What is that urgency? It's just, just impulsiveness. <laughs> of, of there's two, if you if something shows up and there's an urgency, it's because there's too much space there for the self-centered aspect of the mind and it wants to fill it up with action. It wants to do something. We got to do something. We got to, we got to, we got to. We all have our own version of that. It might not look like you describe yours, but it's, it's, it's just a, uh, fundamental uh, situations happening there's impatience but it might be motivated by fear of an open dimension that's like a, a waiting room you know it's like you're waiting for something to happen something else you're waiting you're expecting something more? if there's fear that something will crumble or go wrong if I don't step in, how do I reduce the production? All I can say is less is better than that in most any situation. Don't, don't, 
if you don't do anything unless you absolutely have to do it, then there's more of a possibility that you'll be relating to the causes and conditions or the situation that's arising in that area. Uh, this doesn't mean that if the house is on fire, uh, you need to look at it and see, well, let's see, is this, if I stay in here, is the fire gonna go out or I wouldn't go get carried away with it like that, I'd get out of the house, it's burning. So, but there are other situations where things have not really settled into place yet. Uh, so it might be too early to jump this way or jump that way. So, and I have found that one's awareness about the nature of the causes and conditions that are arising and maybe magnetizing you this way or pushing this way or whatever uh, through fear, through hope and fear. Um, if, there's a, if there's a strong awareness practice, uh, a strong awareness practice as an underlayment in your, your everyday life so that you're, there's a, a foundational feeling of that rather than I need this, I need that, I don't need this, this shouldn't happen, I should, this shouldn't happen. The discursive thoughts are going, tumbling around in the mind, propelled by hope for something else and, and fear of the other thing and hope for that thing. We're all dealing with some part of that most of the time. And what do we do in this monastery? What you're learning here is less is better. It doesn't mean you shouldn't produce something, but it needs to come out of your awareness about the situation. More? Yeah. So there's no there's no formula to do. We all want. How do I? How do I? So how do I work with? How do I? I get those questions all the time. And I, and there's not. There may be some time when I can come back and say, like the ninety ten saying, listen, listen to the person that you're having difficulty with. And at the same time, uh, if the person is not saying too much, then listen to your own mind, receive that because you're having, you're producing, the other person was leaving an opening there and that's making you uncomfortable. And so then you notice our mind starts to produce and just receive the production. Don't do anything with it. Don't, don't do any math with it. Well, this must mean, this must mean not easy to do that. Yes. If we're not looking up our vocal cords, at least for me, the production that comes up is, am I not talking enough? How can I reduce that production on top of not producing. So I'm going to be respond to you very directly. I know you. You're doing fine. There's nothing to correct. There's nothing to reduce. What's happening is you're not talking enough as far as your idea about it. So you have the production comes out of the commentary about that you're not interacting with others or you're not being social social enough or you're not engaging with people enough. Is that pretty close? Yeah. And I'm saying, don't worry about it. You're doing fine. I'm, I'm sneaking around every corner, peeking around the corner to see how you're doing. I think, yeah, he's doing all right. He had that one question about that one thing, but now nah, he's okay. He's doing good. That's why I'm here. Kind of. I mean, I'm just all kidding aside. I mean that you're doing fine. You don't have to be a more talkative person like uh, Shoto needs to be. <laughs> and you don't have to either. I mean, you, uh, you described how your kind of state of mind, uh, if I was understanding what you're saying, pretty, seemed pretty clear to me. Doesn't, doesn't seem like he was in a position to really say much about what was happening other than just to say, I, I don't know what to say. Isn't that what you said, probably? 
So then you would be looking at your uh, filling up the space about him not talking enough or not relating to you. Or uh, sometimes in relationships, uh, especially uh, close intimate relationships or romantic relationships, if our, if our partner is not functioning in a certain way, we get irritated. Whether they're not talking enough, whether they're talking too much, or no matter what they're doing, we get frustrated with that and then uh, then the time that's the time to receive receive your own thought receiving somebody else's language or talk or communication and receiving your own uh, thought patterns without any without producing anything no you could do that and it doesn't matter if you feel angry you just receive the anger sometimes was the conventional way of saying this that i don't care for that but it's a has some uh, interest to it, just own your own feelings and so on. I don't think that's particularly helpful. There isn't anyone, so nobody owns anything. But just whatever's showing up, treat it more like weather if you can. That doesn't mean it's not gonna feel personal, like your own emotions are, uh, feel personal, like it feels like there's somebody there having that. That's why it's difficult. Anybody? Joker, Joker, go ahead. You say listen 90% of the time, talk 10%. When we do uh, produce that 10%, what does that production look like? Well, the idea there is that production will be coming out uh, or be uh, um, that expression of production will be coming out of. Uh, doing a lot of receiving and what's happening around you, the other person, your own mind stream, and what's happening then when you do start to produce, it could be physical activity, it could be language, could could be a poem, could be uh, fixing dinner, could be going for a walk. So, but if, if there's a lot of receiving going on, and this means what people are saying in the personal sense, but also, the colors in the room, the texture of the carpeting, uh, the, the temperature, your body temperature, how your clothes feel. You don't have to go in and, I'm not saying maintain some kind of body awareness. I'm not saying that at all. It's more like a, just flash hunt, like a touch and go. You just, you just, you're just aware that you're here. You're aware of your hands. You're aware of your arms moving. You're aware of stirring something. You're aware of, then that becomes very, very simple and ordinary. Because the, the receiving that has been done for, as I say, 90% of the time is also still happening when you're producing. And there's, there's a lot of receiving because you've been training your mind to what? Receive, sit down and look at the wall. And what, the way I teach this is say, just observe. And what you're watching is the movement of the mind. You just So you're receiving, receiving. And at that same time, you may notice as you're doing that, that you continually to produce something about what's what you're receiving, like comments on your thought patterns, or I can't, my mind won't stop chattering. And if you say that to me, I'll say, don't worry about it. Just listen to the chatter, receive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On and on. We, we always have lots of things to say about everything. Just, just listen, just observe uh, a radical approach to awareness practice. Shut up. 
Chodobani. There's a line in the uh, Maitri Bhavana practice that we recite every day. It says, abandoning vain discussions. What's a vain discussion? <clears throat> I, think, I think it's just, you know, there's all kinds of words that point to that uh, frivolity and uh, gossiping about other people and ha having discussions that are, to some extent, you know, a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of joking around is good, but I think, I don't know what inspired that statement. But um, is that that difficult for you to understand what a vain discussion is, or do you just want to see what the old man says? Is your hand up? Speak. <laughs> I've been noticing like a lot of just babbling. Um, it's awareness. Observing babbling is awareness. You mean you babbling or me babbling or? Nah, he doesn't babble. No, he's he's uh, he's ninety ten. <laughs> no babbling over there, but you then go ahead. Um, just noticing like a lot of the things that we say just to each other is kind of unnecessary. We're just filling up space. Yeah. Okay. Question. If we notice that, should we cut back on it? You could, but I wouldn't make it uh, some kind of ruthless chopping so that so that you, know, you get some kind of credential for how great you are at not being frivolous. Uh, it could be a little bit, but you might want to just watch that for a while rather than correcting it. You'll notice if you spend much time here that there's not much correcting going on. I can watch somebody uh, do the, the form or do the, at the doshi or, or the doan, watch them a long time before I step in and correct anything. Unless it's outlandish, you know, like they have, you know, they're trying to, in between in the sutra, trying to play the guitar too or something, then I might say something about that. But just a different way of handling uh, that, I might watch it for a while. So it's, it's not so much about a correcting, uh, someone, including yourself. It's about watching that. It's an awareness practice, not uh, an accomplishment practice. It's misunderstood quite a bit. So when you say to reduce the production, is another way of saying that to watch the production? Yes, you're, you're going to have to be pretty clear on what the production is before you can slow it down. And this is why uh, chicken tala, wall gazing, zazen, simple awareness practice, simple, minimal awareness practice trains you to watch what is moving in a way where as you do that, uh, there be, there's less and less and less addition going on, less subtraction, less, less and less and less. There's more and more just receiving what's there, just, just seeing what shows up, what's coming and going, coming and going has a certain speed, has a certain energy. You begin to, um, it's not an active depersonalization, but we, we have, it's like less and less of a, a personal relationship to what is happening, but yet still very, very intimate. Further questions? There's a question in the chat box. Thank you. Can you read it? I think it's, Ivan, Ivan, how does the 90-10 thing apply during Zazen? 
But you could practice it there also. Um, just receive. You sit down, hold still, and just receive. And if you, uh, you might not be able to do too much with it because uh, it's a little bit more just in the consciousness alone, but somewhat just receive, watch the way the mind keeps producing. Some people might come to me and say, I just, my mind is just chattering and chattering and chattering. And I say, so just listen to it. Just watch. No, no warfare. The, the only thing you're really doing that is that there's some resistance to, and everyone's different here. So some people have very little resistance and some people have uh, overwhelming resistance. Hold still. Find the one thing that you can, you can do without a lot of, uh, it's a solid form. It's the body. But the other forms, the other parts of the skandhas are, are more about consciousness. They're more nebulous. They're less, they're, they're interesting concepts. And we know what feeling is. Uh, we know what perception is. We know what co uh, concepts are. And we know what the sixth sense feels and our objects. We know what those are. But the body is the one, the place to start. This is the, the foundation, mindfulness of body or being aware of the body. Sit down, hold still. And hold as still as you can without being rigid. Keep your back straight. Sit in a symmetrical posture because body and mind are fundamentally not separate. You can't find you can't find the mind and uh, make it more symmetrical uh, unless you're doing creation completion practice. Uh, tantric practices have something to do with uh, uh, introducing an artificial, I would say, artificial symmetry to uh, the mind by imagining bodies, imagining forms. So I'm making use of that, not particularly teaching that. What I am endeavoring to encourage you to do is sit down, hold still, hold the body very still without being rigid, but be respectful if, you, if you're holding still and some aspect of the body just spontaneously moves, which it can. Don't stop that. Please don't stop that. I, I was misled for long, long decades. I was misled. And I, I'm endeavoring to help you with that so you don't do that. Now, some people, when they just sit down and they just sit there for a couple of hours, don't move at all. It's a different dynamic with their body-mind complex. If they're sitting very, very still, there's a good chance their mind is uh, going uh, quite crazy. Not necessarily, but likely. Shokobang. Yes. Do we have any responsibility towards how somebody receives what we are producing? Again, situational depends on who it is. Uh, if it's the teacher, if it's a, a Dharma brother, sister, if it's your, your intimate partner, if it's a next door neighbor, those are so many different situations. It's very, very situational. It depends on what the relationship is has been the last 10 minutes, uh, 10 days, 10 months, 10 years. What, 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 what is the fundamental nature of the situation? So if you have a more specific question, I'll endeavor to respond to it. Shokobang, it seems like outside of the uh, Sangha, interacting with people, there's more and more of a, a fear of uh, production. Um, do I have any responsibility of whether or not I offend somebody with my speech? 
I don't know. It's pretty hard to control that. People get offended with the people's projections are so intense that they, they people don't might not even see you. They might just you move and you're you're a, a trigger for them. So they might be projecting anything, especially if they don't if they have no mind training. Highly intelligent, perceptive, and even basically relatively kind and helpful people can be just completely full of themselves. Then part of what they're full of is how good they are, how wonderful, and how correct they are as compared to some of the insane people in the world. Not wrong. It's not wrong. It's just that death comes without warning. And that there's no guarantee that will continue. There's no guarantee of anything. When the body-mind comes apart, uh, consciousness is, uh, uh, is no longer protected by that particular set of karmic circumstances. So hard to say what's going to happen. More? Shokabang, if we trigger somebody that is not training their mind, is it helpful to then go in and try and pacify? Perhaps. Again, it's so situational. I wouldn't, I mean, if it's if it's something that's going to kind of come apart anyway and they're going to walk another direction, I wouldn't do much with it at all. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be too concerned about making sure that you functioned in a way where they wouldn't have any suffering or difficulty or frustration with you. So if you Want to give me a characterize an exact example? I might be able to say something about that. But generally, uh, you've heard me say over and over, don't do anything unless you have to. Applies to that one too. To the somebody at the laundromat or somebody at the uh, at the store or somebody on a, a job that you're working on. I'm not sure what you're thinking of in particular. If you could say something, maybe I can go that direction. Shokabang, I'm not thinking of any really specific examples. Uh, okay. Just thinking about a lot of the the cultural movements that go on, um, and and offending people in ways where they might come back and say that I'm racist or that I'm sexist or or something. Yeah, well, I, I don't think you can. I mean, I, every, any any white man. Uh, I'm not gonna. I mean, I am a white guy, and I'm uh, have a, and I was raised that way. So, and that's not something you can get rid of. And I don't think you need to get rid of it as long as you're very aware of it. That way, it's not going to get hooked up to your activity. Might be a really good idea to be responsible for who you are, rather than try to change yourself artificially into some kind of pretentious, non-racist person or pretentious. Most white people on some level or, or another, have that. We were raised in this a cultural situation that's been showing up. You might think because you're kind or you're, you, don't talk, you don't use racist language or something like that, that you're not. But there's something like that happening. Look closely. Look closely. It's not about getting rid of it. It's not about you can't get rid of it. It's like saying, let's just let's get rid of uh, all war and just be at peace. Big misunderstanding. So with the current anti-racist movement that seems to be happening, yeah. is that a misunderstanding? No, no, I don't think it is. 
You mean like Black Lives Matter and those kinds of things? Just the phrase itself, anti-racist. Anti-racist. No, I, I don't. I mean, it's a, people are doing their best, especially especially people with no no mind training. And there's no way to because and they're not going to come this way because this looks like some kind of a people worshiping golden golden, golden idols. They don't realize that it's a non-theistic spiritual path. That really has to be explained to someone because it's not something that somebody is just going to think of, especially intellectuals, no matter how liberal or kind or benevolent they are. I'm not here to correct anybody. I, res I respect everybody who's doing the best they can with, uh, what, with what they know or what they understand. More? Hard to put that into words. So. Pretty good response, yes. You say don't go to war, don't go to peace. How is that anti-racist movement not trying to go to peace? Well, well it is. It is trying to, but I, I'm not, I'm just, this is a, a teaching situation. It's not, I can't teach somebody unless they give me permission. So there are 30, 40 people here and I'm just saying, don't do that. But if you say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, then go ahead. And I'm not saying you shouldn't join that movement. Perhaps you should. I mean, maybe you should be part of that movement. I'm not here to, to correct anybody or trying to get anybody not to do this or to vote this way or do that way. You might want to just be uh, very, very aware of what's happening and how do you do that? Train your mind to see clearly. You can't do that by operating with uh, people with all kinds of politics. The politics of experience are extremely sticky. And they change uh, all the time. And most of the people who are involved in that want power. I'm not saying they don't have good motivation. But they want some kind of power control over things, starting with their own lives. So more Anybody, ask me some questions about this. Go ahead. Uh, a question from Kiyosaku. Go ahead. I often find myself regretting the words I never said. How can I better determine when to speak and when to let things go? Don't let anything go. Just, you, you've probably heard me say this many times, just look at the way you hang on. Just, to, and then if it's uh, conditionally, this is dependent origination. And if you think you're in charge of something, <laughs> but again, I say, don't believe anything I say. You don't have to believe me, but you're, we aren't in charge of things. There is a, a, a dynamic that's happening that looks like somebody's in charge, but that, to, to actually uh, not get in the way of dependent origination is very powerful. That doesn't mean you shouldn't stop somebody from hitting a dog with a stick or something. Just use that example because it's something that, you don't see that often, but when we do, it's very, very disturbing. But that's bad. But then if you go into, uh, uh, you know, the federal prison or Michigan Department of Corrections or places that we've been, people are terribly mistreated in there. So should we just not be monks and be attorneys and try to change the law in that area? No, you're, you're changing the surface of the thing. The fundamental misunderstanding is at the basis of consciousness for all human beings. So that's why I say train your mind so that when you go out into the world, uh, you are reducing the amount of aggression 
thereby not projecting your own disturbances on others. They may not go away, but, it, but you probably won't be projecting them on others. That doesn't mean you're going to let them get away with abusing somebody. You might be in a better position to do that because you're, you're stopping them from abuse without any hatred because you understand their suffering. And one of the ways that people get rid of their suffering is to lock and load. The whole military is about control. It's not that we, I mean, because of the causes and condition, we can't just do away with it because it's part and parcel of all the other causes and conditions that have been going on since what? Well, you know what I'm going to say, the Peloponnesian Wars. I mean, got to have some kind of a backup. Or every other thing is going, there's, there are no separate beings anywhere. If you realize this, the war, the war is over. Your internal war, the war on the outside, uh, is not exactly a war because you see people are trying to get rid of their suffering. They don't want to suffer, and they don't. They haven't heard the words of the Buddha. Life is suffering, and if they do, they'll say, "Well, that's a pessimistic religion." But immediately, cannot do any investigation. They have to conclude something about it because that's what ego does. It concludes for proof that what it is thinking, believes, thinks is true. In other words, the ego locks and loads with its ammunition. So if anybody brings that up, it knows what to say about it. Tom Bowen. Go ahead, Don. Um, how do we observe that 9010 uh, rule without getting caught up in the concept of self-control? Get caught up. Get caught, get caught up in that, because that's the only way you're really going to be, be able to fundamentally understand it. More? Um, is there a way to do that without getting caught up in self-control? Without getting caught up in self-control? Yeah. Yeah. Could, there could be. Could be. You might have to have a few skirmishes before you can really get see what it is. Instead of trying to be in... Uh, get, turn yourself into some kind of a, a minor saint, you know, you might want to just look at the difficulty you have. Uh, live, live. I sometimes say, be the negativity you're trying to get rid of. That doesn't mean let it wipe you out and obey the orders of some kind of internal demon or something. I'm saying you could, you could relate with that negativity. Uh, sometimes in the, on the Bodhisattva path, the path to save all beings, uh, one of the ways we work with that as a uh, Bodhisattvas, as we we sometimes it's done through Tonglen, which I don't teach because I think it's there's too many difficulty with the artificial mechanical receiving on the in breath, sending out of the out breath. It's just uh, not interested in that. Um, but for a long time, for years, I did that practice. So I don't teach it because it's. I think it's a good idea to do a practice where you're including others, and one of the things you can do is you can say. You can feel as I include this, you could come up with your own idea rather than some kind of mechanical thing, which opens you up to all kinds of energy that uh, that just loves to see you do that impersonally, because then you just are opening up all the pores. You become what? Porous. Not a good idea. But receiving the negativity that arises in your own mind stream, and at the same time you do that, as I do this, as I just receive this negativity, uh, let me receive the other, the negativity of the world of others, but do it in a personal 
simple kind of way rather than a mechanical way where you're where you're opening up on the in-breath and closing down and then sending out on the out-breath. Tonglen, sending and receiving while riding the breath. It's an ancient practice, goes back at least a thousand years, if not more. More? Um, you gave a talk a couple of weeks ago about benevolent authority. Um, so it seems like you're saying we need to strive to be our own benevolent authority when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah, you could look at it that way. Yeah. My way of saying it often is to give yourself a break. Don't, you know, work with the negativity in your mind. Because if you can't, if you can't really work with and even somewhat accommodate the negativity, I mean, sure, if you can find out a way to turn it off and unlikely, but work with the negativity in the mind. When it comes, watch it. When it goes down, watch it. When it turns this way, it turns that way, just because that is the world. So when that, when you begin to see this, then you notice that uh, you, the boundary between meditation and post-meditation is they're no longer boundary. You're, and this is uh, easy to misunderstand what's being said here, but you are in a state of meditation all the time. You're in a state of samadhi all the time when there's no more uh, solid self in the skandhas. This doesn't mean there isn't a self. It's just unreal or it's not solid. And it gets its apparent solidity from what? War and peace, love and hate, hope and fear, any kind of life and death, which is the, the big challenging one. We're really, if you're really enamored with your body-mind complex and death comes without warning, it's going to be uh, difficult. Thank you, Ryan. A question from Chantel. Who? Chantel. How do you spell it? S-H-A-U-N-T-E-L-L. Okay. Chantel, go ahead. I'm looking for help to find the deep energetic calling to get closer to my life's purpose. I'm confused by the calling from all the new desires for information from the divine. Yeah. Well, um, I'm pretty biased in this area uh, and I teach awareness practice. So I can't give you, you know, if you're working with some kind of divine idea, I'm not against that, but I don't particularly use that because uh, divine is not something else. It's not an other that you look to. Uh, what seems to be important, if I'm understanding your way of answering or asking the question is, uh, Find a place to sit down, hold still, sit and look at something where nothing is happening, sit very symmetrically, and watch what's moving in the mind stream so that the actual mind stream that is coming up with your question uh, becomes uh, clarified. And it may not look feel like it's being clarified because to clarify something, you really need to look at the cloudiness and the stickiness and the confused aspect of the mind. So there's no, there's no immediate credential of, I think I'm getting better. If you think you're getting better, probably not. This is spiritual materialism. So that would be my, my, uh, my basic uh, um, response is clarify your mind. Sit down every day for an hour, an hour or two every day for the next year. And don't judge anything. Don't judge your mind. I don't know how old you are, but, you know, if you're, especially if you're a young person, probably got some time. 
uh, world is kind of coming apart, but looks like we might have a few months left, maybe. Yeah. Train your mind. Make good use of that three months, whatever it is, or whatever we have left, whatever I have left. Sit down, find out who you are, so that when you get up off the cushion and go into the world, you're not taking unexamined aggression into the world and projecting it on others and fighting with them or blaming them. If you're having feelings, those are your feelings. When I say yours, I'm saying that this particular body-mind complex, because there's no solid being here, but there certainly is something. The five skandhas, a form, feeling, perception, concept, and consciousness are here. They just don't add up to an identity. That has to be realized. It's, it's a concept that you can't figure out. If you realize it, then figuring is over with. Chantal says, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for the question. Goes on. What do you mean by produce? Just like, uh, but as soon as you ask me that, I'm uh, moving my head a little bit. You see it? That's producing. Um, I'm starting to think about something to say to you that's produced. When you ask me a question, you're producing. So doing something other than just hold, you could say holding your seat, just sitting still and just receiving. Now you can receive and produce at the same time. At some point, the producing and, and reception are not two different things. That, but that takes a while and it's not an accomplishment. More? Yeah, you say uh, regarding what arises in mind, just receive. Yes. What's the difference between what we're receiving in mind and what's produced coming out of the body? You're, you mean you're producing thoughts and and you're receiving the thoughts? Yeah. You know, we don't, you know, you, you know, you don't produce thoughts, don't you? You've well, probably discovered that you've been meditating for a number of centuries. Likewise, when you're moving off of the cushion, if, thing, if it's choiceless, what's mm -hmm. the production? It's dependently risen. But the self, the imputed, the believed in self thinks or feels or perceives that it has some kind of say-so about this. And if there's any kind of emotional dynamic flowing in, the, in that area, in the mind stream, that identity will tr try to find a reason for it. And, and there's plenty of, I mean, if you, if you stub your toe and there's pain, then it's because you were what, clumsy or your parents didn't tell you to try to stay out of the, you know, try to wear shoes or, I mean, you can go to a million different things and being silly, but you can you can find all find some kind of cause for everything. But that's only that cause, cause and effect. When this happens and that happens, this happens and that happens. But it's not just that. Anything that happens has numerous, uncountable causes and conditions behind it, and and those causes and conditions have. It's like every. You can't be here without a mother and a father, and they can't be here without a mother and a father, simply put. Here you are. How did you get here? What are you doing here? Okay, well, that's a start. Do you think that you ever will know? 
Do you think that you'll ever know that you don't know? Okay, I accept your response. Do you accept my response? Maybe. Uh, I like that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you have a lot of guts. <laughs> Tiger Mountain. Other questions? Shokobang. Shoka. A lot of spiritual traditions talk about destiny. Yes. What is destiny on this spiritual path? So I don't use that word, and uh, but if you'd like to tell me more about what you think that means, then I might be able to comment on that relative to your basic understanding so I can get more about or I can, we can just drop all that and I could say, Shoka, what do you want to know? What do you want to know? Shoka Bang, what is our purpose for existence? There, purpose is extra. There's no purpose. Any kind of, anytime, I'm not saying that you don't uh, have relative purpose. Of course, you're cold. Put, your purpose is to do something about being cold, get a coat or wrap up in a blanket or turn up the heat. I mean, you know, that's the relative thing. You're hungry, then eat something. There's all kinds of cause and effect, cause and effect, those little purposes. But the, uh, from the point of view of the path that you're on, your purpose is to save all beings. And you took that up as a spiritual path and you, and you committed to that vow. And, and you can't get, as long as you're a living being, as long as you're here, the, it has been said that you can't, you can give the refuge vow back, refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. But if you, you receive a vow, uh, you, you vow to save all beings, to put others before yourself, you're going to have to do that. And how do I know that? I don't, I don't, I don't need to know. I don't need to know how I know. I just know it. More about that if you have it. Shokobarin, does that vow to save all beings ever show up in an individualized way? Are you saying, is there some being that you feel like you have to put them first? Are you grinning? Are you smiling? Yes. So that really serious question, you you have kind of a gotcha smile on your face. Oh. <clears throat> Is your little friend smiling too? No, she shook her head no. <laughs> <laughs> she is too. <laughs> so what do you want to know? I mean, really, seriously, what let's it's it's a pretty good question, but you need to bring it down to a, a some kind of a an inquiry about what you want to know. Shokobang, how does the vow to save all beings manifest for someone who's observing that vow? It starts out as a relative thing of putting others before yourself, and it goes like that and goes like that until you realize there's no solid being, there's no solid bodhisattva. And when you realize that, uh, either right then or soon after you realize there's no one to save, 
And that's when the when the vow gets really powerful because you are saving those who are who think they're somebody and think they're suffering and think, 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 think there's right and wrong and up and down, back and forth. Put them before yourself. And if you one of the ways you can know if you're doing that is if you need no credit. Nobody has to appreciate you. No one has to be your student. No one has to give you any money. Nothing has to occur. You don't really want anything. This doesn't mean that you wouldn't get hungry or you wouldn't fix a sandwich or that you wouldn't uh, maybe even teach the Dharma if you were asked. You actually transcend the whole thing that got you into this mess in the first place called the human realm. You transcend it, but you don't go anywhere. You transcend it without disembodying, without turning into a uh, a flashbang grenade. Nothing happens. Even enlightenment is not an occurrence. It's not an experience. Experiences do this. Here's an experience. Gone. Realization does not occur. Um, what might be seen as occurring is you just notice that something has been uncovered just because you've looked at it and you've looked at it and you've looked at it and you've looked at it. And then you don't see anything else there anymore. You don't need, you don't see a covering anymore. There's no covering. The ignorance is uh, no longer ignoring. So the positionality of anything, you and everyone else and your personhood and your actual lifetime, your lifespan is no longer uh, something to, to hang on to or let go of or ignore. Not something you can just out and out do. It's something you what realize. You realize it. It's just like realizing what this is. Empty of a person. Empty of an uh, empty of personhood and empty of other. It's an astonishing thing because the, the person, you're still waving your hands around. What waves hands? Hands wave hands. What well, looks like a chipmunk? Chipmunk? Somewhat. A silly image, but it's still, that's the way it works. It's, it's incredibly serious and incredibly silly at the same time. Not to, not to, not to. All the two-ness that has been around in our lives forever is just all the otherness and all the thisness and thatness has collapsed into just this. If you're interested, this is the path. But there's no guarantee. Thank you. Certainly. Could take one more question, maybe. There is one. Go ahead, Yuhong. What's the point of looking ourselves in the mirror, in front of the mirror? So my suggestion there um, of standing and looking at yourself in the mirror is, uh, uh, is to do it over a length of time as you might get some ideas about how much you, you uh, have ideas about your existence and about who you are, about your identity. Because this, uh, this human form is a, 
is a great uh, screen to project on. But if you do very much of it, it's looking at yourself in the, in the mirror is very much like looking at the wall. So do some of it. You might look and say, well, I don't know what this is about, or, or it, might, uh, it might turn things around in your perception a little bit. It, it has with mine, so but maybe that won't occur with you. The best thing to look at is a blank wall where nothing is happening. Sorry, one more question. How, how to talk about death in front of children if they asked? Sorry. Just be straightforward. Things die. And it's, and it's a totally reasonable thing. It's a life and death are not dissimilar. So just be straightforward. I wouldn't say too much unless they ask. Your children are, what, six and eight or something like that? No. Close. Huh? Close. Your, your children are close? No, close to age you mentioned. Okay. I remember their names, uh, Ellie and Abraham. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could, you, could be, you could totally level with those guys. Just, but we keep it very simple and direct. If they ask you about death, just say, you could say what I say something. What do you want to know? Well, what is death? And that's when uh, everything that comes together is something goes back where it came from. They might not be ready to hear uh, that uh, all compounded things will vanish. That might be too sophisticated for them. But you could just say that things sometimes, you know, mosquitoes don't live very long, but uh, worms live a little bit longer, ducks a little bit longer. I mean, you could, you know, and then they could, and then you could, if you want to really get them really, really curious, you could say, and then, of course, dragons never die. And they might say, why don't they die? And then you could say, because they're never born. And they would say, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you could have fun with it. They're having fun. They're, they're very, very young, innocent people. Very, very, uh, uh, very exciting to, to talk with and listen to children. Bye. Yes. Any other questions? Everybody ready for nap? <laughs> Everybody's ready to go to bed. These poor people have been up since five in the morning. Okay. We'll stay on for a few minutes. I wanted to talk to John Roadhouse if he's still on there. Or anybody else that wants to stay. We'll dedicate the merit. May meritless dedicated to all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the best way. We The three worlds, all Buddhas, all venerable ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, the great Prajna Paramita. Mm -hmm.
actions and the three times, please hear us. Please come down out of the light and protect Sokokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, our Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering. If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokokoji.org.